Cradleine Network. The sun struggles up another beautiful day, and I felt glad in my own suspicious way. I am the law, and this is the seventh episode of Big Meg One. My name's Conrad, along with my friend Eli, and this is the podcast where two Americans patrol their way through the Judge Dredd magazine. This episode, we're covering the magazine volume one, issues eight and nine, cover dates May and June 1991. This episode, we'll see spiders, talking horses, an ultrasound, and at least two different views of Britsit. It's very exciting. <laughs> And if you want to read along with this, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files 15, and the Owls, Baby, and Young Death Collections. All right. How you doing, Eli? Ready to, to dive right into this magazine action? Oh, yes. Born ready. Oh, man. All right. I might be a little early, too early, but yeah, I am. Yes. To make it short. I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that in my back pocket for later in the episode, Eli. All right? Like... <laughs> Perfect. I'm, I'm, I'm holding one transition as we get as we head in head out here. <laughs> but speaking of people being born in really weird ways, Eli, like for instance, <laughs> aliens from beyond the stars. Let's talk about story one: Black Widow. Uh, script robot John Wagner, art robot John Hinklinton, letting, uh, coloring robot Gina Hart, and lettering robot Tom Frame. Okay, like last time we saw this hot blonde lady turned into a spider monster, eat a bar pickup artist, get shot a few times by dread, and then escape. Yeah, that about sums it up. Pretty much. <laughs> now she's gone back to her lair in the Dan Quayle block. You might remember, or maybe you don't, as a uh, American vice president for uh, the first President Bush. Oh. Um, but um, she's heading to her apartment, leaving a trail of blood as she goes when she's spotted by her neighbor, the young guy, young dude, Randy. Oh, geez. And there's a weird moment here where I feel like because of the way Hanklinton draws, Randy's supposed to be like a teenager, but he really just looks like a 30-year-old to right. me. I don't just know. It's odd, weird. Oddly oily 30-year-old, right. Ex- or if, yeah, or oddly oily 15-year-old oh, or whatever right. else. Yeah. So, seeing an opportunity, she asks him to come into her apartment, and later we see a wounded and patched up Dread is uh, sort of compiling like a, a police sketch of the woman and showing it to a witness, and then he's really angry, like, oh, I let her go, like, oh, geez, you know, because that was the spider, and I walked right past her thinking she was another victim last episode. But just so you know, Eli, um, Dread's fought these kinds of things before the spider being the Nosferatu. Yeah. We last saw it in Prague's um, 430 to 433 back in 1985 or so. Yeah, he seemed fairly familiar. Yeah, definitely. It's sort of these like, yeah, it's a giant spider dude and it can like change shape basically. Mm, right. Um, but while the last one, while still a giant spider, was not quite as grody and, and horrifying as this mm-hmm. one, which is more due to art artists <laughs> than anything else, I think. Right. I also had a question. There's a, yeah. a judge, uh, I guess nurse judge, but they have a different helmet shape and symbol on it. Is that just a style choice or is that a branch of the judges that – Ooh, it, this this is something that very much varies from artist to artist, yeah. I'd say. Okay, that's what I thought. Like, 
Like there, there's a little bit of stuff where like some, like a lot of times, like, yeah, like, like, like medic judges might have a, like a red cross on their shoulder pads or helmets or something like that. Mm. A lot of times when there's tech judges, they will, they won't have a shoulder eagle. They'll just have the two flat shoulder pads oh. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, as we're recording this, a very recent Judge Dredd story featured an accountant judge who had a giant, like, percent sign mm-hmm. on their shoulder pad. <laughs> That's how, how else are you going to know their, their specialty if they don't have it Seriously. on their shoulder pads? Yeah, and then other artists have drawn way more extreme stuff like um, science judges or like, like a surgeon judges with, like, scalpels integrated into their helmets <laughs> and – other stuff like that but a lot of that's really down to what the artist wants to draw and stuff a lot of times i feel like they get bored with the mm-hmm. monotony of drawing the exact same uniform over and over again right and i think it, it helps you know in the future people need more clear iconography for their professions you know you can't, yeah you, i mean you know it's just like with star trek wearing color-coded right. uniforms or whatever else you know exactly that's fun <laughs> Yeah, so back in her apartment, the Spider Woman, Mrs. Wilson, or Miss Wilson, I guess, is showing off her pet black widow to Randy, seduces him a bit, but then turns into a terrifying Spider Woman. Oh, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Full page. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. John Hanklinton doing his body horror best here as he draws this, like, her crazy uh, musculature mm-hmm. and uh, carapace and whatever else. Um, Dread confirms with tech, with a, with, with tech division, the presence of a shape, of the shape, of a shape changing spider alien. And it seems like it's been here for about three years based on witness reports and stuff like that. Um, Dread is sort of having this info, uh, sent to him as he's kicking the shit out of a bunch of perps, which is pretty fun, <laughs> I think. Like, he's like just knee deep in blood, beating him up in a big fountain and stuff as they tell him these things. Right. And occasionally, like, yells, yells insults at the perps that the tech kind of overhears and stuff. <laughs> Don't be stupid. What I'm trying my best, Judge, not you. <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> um,. Dread tells the tech to keep looking as Miss Wilson devours Randy and uses her shape-changing powers to lie to Randy's worried father. Like, we see her, like, stick her head out the side of the door as the rest of her is, like, in spider form devouring this kid, basically. Because she's eaten him, she'll survive another day, but maybe not that much longer because it really does seem like Dread's investigation is tightening around her. You know, they know where she is, and Dredd hops on his bike, and as he does, actually, we had a really interesting view, I think, just as a Judge Dredd fan, I guess, of the top of, like, his shoulder eagle here. Mm. This, like, V-shaped, like, top view of of, of how the sh- how the eagle, like, sort of interfaces with his shoulder there, mm. which is kind of cool. But he heads off, and it's time for a showdown with this spider person. <laughs> so, Randy heads – we see Randy walking down a hallway – he smirks his way past his dad, like, where have you been, young man? Like, doing something you've only dreamed of, old man. <laughs> Just weird. Um, as Dredd arrives in the, in the uh, Dan Quayle block, Randy hits the lift as Dredd bursts into Mrs. Wilson's apartment and finds the mutilated body of the real Randy. That kid was the Nosferatu all along. Yeah, played the role really well. F you, oh, F yeah, you old man, yeah. you don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. I, I guess, <laughs> she's a she's a method spider actress right. or something like that. I, you know? I guess that's the easiest age group to impersonate. 
is a teenager right, yeah. or old man. You just don't worry about it. I do what I want. And then just go about yeah. your, your day. Yeah, just be a big jerk and you're and you're halfway there for sure. So Dredd calls an all points bulletin, locks the exits as judges swarm the area investigating the crime scene. There's a bunch of judges looking at things like Judge Rex finds some human limbs in the garbage grinder at her apartment as Dredd notices that the uh, Nosferatu just ate Randy's heart after liquefying it. Oh, it's a real heartbreaker. You know what I'm saying? That kind of stuff. Or heart drinker, um, right. Yeah, exactly. Dredd notices that she had a pet a pet Black Widow spider, which is a spider, of course, famous for um, the female eating their partner while they're mating and stuff like that. Like, ooh, you got to think about it. Um, <laughs> Dredd continues to make – there was something interesting last time. It's continued here where Dredd makes a real point that we shouldn't be humanizing these aliens. Like you – he – studiously refers to it as it and tells everybody to stop acting like it's a real lady because it's an alien. Right. You know, come on. Yeah. Just suck the dude's heart out. <laughs> yeah, it's no good. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, the judges are bringing in some gar hounds, which are these tracker dogs that they used last time to catch the Nosferatu. Um, and we see sort of this van where all these dogs are inside and howling like at the spaceport with more shots at the tops of judges' shoulders that I'm very excited about. <laughs> um, but they're freaking out at the spaceport. The judges are like, calm down. We aren't even at the crime scene yet. Not realizing that even now the Black Widow is in a different disguise on her way on a shuttle to Texas City where she can begin her hunting anew. She escaped. Whoa. Yeah, that was – I wasn't expecting that. Definitely wasn't expecting uh, her to get away. It was more of a showdown. But, you know, maybe there's uh, more to come. Uh, but it, Yeah, I forget if this character comes back, honestly. So I guess we'll we'll find out together. But this is very much one of the few perps that really gets away right. from, from Dread. Yeah, makes it out alive. Yeah, alive and non-arrested and everything right. else, for sure. Speaking of being alive, we should talk about death. <laughs> or the the opposite thereof. Well, I should say first, there's a there's a very brief, um, in between the pages of this, there's an ad for the crazy Mikhail, uh, <laughs> Mikhail story. Um, uh, Mega City's one success story. It's as told to Brian Scudder, who of course we know is also responsible for writing a story to young death. <laughs> appreciate, appreciate these, uh, these transitions, <laughs> right. buddy. I think I, I wish I would have said, uh, man, it's so crazy that you got away. And then we could have tied that into. Speaking of crazy, speaking of crazy, yeah. crazy, crazy, <laughs> guy, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm going to get better at this. So I'm going to be a professional segwayer. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a talent, mm-hmm. not a science, mm-hmm. you know, you can, it, or or an art, not a science. You got to just kind of like spend some time working on it, basically. <laughs> So, uh, a script robot John Wagner is Brian Scudder, art robot Peter Doherty, lettering robot Ellie DeVille. Uh, judge Death continues with his life story. As a junior judge, he was given a chance to preside over court for a day. And he walks in, twirling a pistol, uses it as a gavel. And when his first case comes up, it's a serial loiterer who, like, pleads guilty and tries to pay a fine. But young, but uh, young Sydney isn't interested in that and shoots this dude right in the face. That's it. You're dead. 
And so it continues. And the rest of the day, by the time he's done, he shot 27 d- defendants dead, no matter what they've done, basically. I love the divorce uh, hearing. That one was yeah, my definitely. favorite. Yeah, while it seems like just shooting these folks is like not normal procedure, it is definitely legal and okay. Like mm. no one like tries to pull them off the sta- off the uh, court or anything like just, that. Just round yeah, but like you, <laughs> yeah, like just like you know, like oh, that's kind of a kind of a dick move. Mm-hmm. But you know, <laughs> there's nothing nothing in the rules that say you can't do it. You know, he's kind of Francis the talking muling mm-hmm. muling and or or the the field goal kicking mule. I guess mm-hmm. uh, here, but. Like you said, yeah, a, a couple had been here f- to get a divorce, but hoping, realizing that this guy's shooting everybody, it seems like they've reconciled and said we don't need a need to be judged upon. <laughs> but because of that, they're instead shot for wasting the court's time. Right. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it almost seemed like death was like, you know what? I That's good. I'm glad you guys got it together and you're doing cool stuff. I, yeah. Enjoy your happy life together. And then he shoots them for wasting time. I thought it was just them being like, thank mercy. And then they kiss each other on the cheek. I thought, you wasted two seconds of that. Uh, you obviously need to die. Uh, yeah, he's like, you know, like, 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 yeah, they should have said, we've reconciled while like running out okay, of the right. room or something exactly. like that. Exactly. You got to get away from that That's, guy at ASAP. Yeah. It's real, real like, uh, like a soup Nazi kind of stuff. You got to say it and then move to the side immediately. You know, because uh, they got a way they like to run it, you know. <laughs> oh, man. All right. <laughs> so back at the academy, Sydney gets kind of called on the carpet and yelled at. But he, you know, does his usual thing, which is just calmly explaining that once he's killed these people, they can never reoffend. You know, like he's basically caused a, you know, uh, uh, settled a lot of people's hashes here. And like, honestly, like, you know, when you kind of take the long view, this was a good thing that he did, you know? <laughs> right. And uh, they take his logic way too easily. You know, I know it's uh, the world that they live in and they've kind of made it clear that they're a little shadier around this time. But uh, it's like they've no, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's like they've never met a sociopath before. Like they're like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Huh, hmm. It's not like, oh, you have a problem. You're obviously a murderer. It's huh, maybe, he's, you know, he's just a wacky kid, you know, like, uh, Maybe we'll come yeah, around. Yeah, like this. It sounds like this city's got some interesting ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like who are we to who are we to say that just slaughtering everybody isn't a good plan? Like it could, it could work out. You know, very open minded. I guess I get give credit <laughs> yeah. for that. There's a pretty pretty good moment where the uh, where like the headmasters um, of the justice department of the justice department where like, like the the head of the academy is like oh Sydney you'll be the death of us all <laughs> and it's like yeah dude like yes he will right. like that's that's the foreshadowing right. you know yeah and uh, I think Sydney says yes he's like yes yeah, yeah yes he sir. definitely definitely agrees with that <laughs> yeah but so because of that people have started calling him Sydney death as a joke and he embraces that taking the, the nickname judge death like on his official documents and stuff um and meanwhile we see uh back in the pre or sort of in in the middle past uh, Brian Scudder's taking notes on this story and then in the present judge Hershey's reading those notes and listening to judge death's dictation. She gets the address of where Scudder was going and calls it into, into control. They're all headed to the S- Sylvia Plath block to take death out. So, 
Soon afterward, Judge Death graduates from the Academy with a full license to kill and all that stuff. And as you do, his first action was to find and murder his uh, mother and sister. You know, they'd gone into hiding in a far-off land, but he's able to find them pretty quickly. Um, And then he sort of shows up, accuses them of a few very petty crimes like food hoarding and having a scuffed-up floor, and then (laughs) tells them to run, essentially. (laughs) And run they do. Um, they sort like, as they go, I guess his sister's confined to a wheelchair because of that spider monster that we saw in an earlier episode. Right. And he sort of shoots her by accident, like with a ricochet bullet or something like that. At least to a final confrontation on the roof of like, I don't know, it's, it's like a lighthouse or a tower yeah. or something that some, they're some at. Kind of a tower, yeah. Yeah. And it's in the middle of a big thunderstorm because it's got to be super dramatic, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> Sid, uh, uh, Death and his mom go back and forth about him. You know, he's saying he's just bringing the family true peace in Death, and she calls him a crazy monster, that kind of stuff. So eventually he tosses her off the side of the cliff, and, you know, as she does, he call- she calls him a de- um, evil as she falls. Mm-hmm. You're evil! Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. I really like the art here, though. It's really, like, dark and cinematic, these moments with these giant lightning bolts crashing through the sky and stuff. Right. Yeah, I, while I was reading it, I was thinking of it as a, like, a horror film. I could see this being a really nice uh, uh, movie almost, Definitely. all these things happening. It's kind of paced out yeah, that way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's paced out. Yeah, definitely. And it's got these, yeah, these very set moments that feel very cinematic and stuff. Like, I, you know, both like this second part of this climactic chase in the rainy tower feels very movie-like. I could imagine this, the earlier part being like a, a, a montage of people coming in for minor crimes and, and getting shot, Ooh, you know, that kind of right. stuff. Yeah, definitely. A lot of fun. And uh, I don't know. Speaking of uh, deadly adventures, Eli, oh. or I guess yeah. Speaking of um, of uh, of uh, people killing for fun or whatever, <laughs> let's talk about story three: Red Razors. <laughs> Script robot Mark Miller, art robot Steve Yole, coloring robot Philip Lynch, lettering robot Gordon Robson. So, new story here from relative newcomer in the 2000 AD scene, uh, Mark Miller, who go on to a ton of, uh, of both 2000 AD stuff as well as American superhero comics and stuff. Um, so, we're in Russia, it seems, at a fast food place under those onion domes that so define Russian architecture. <laughs> a man and a woman in red army uniforms, like sort of old Soviet uniforms – Order some burgers and then reveal a bomb and blow that place up in the name of Stalin. Oh, geez. (laughs) The violence is claimed by a group called the OAP KGB, and they're railing against all the American junk culture that's taken over their proud communist state. As we see just like a Russian cityscape full of various brand names and other things like that. Elsewhere, Eli. (laughs) At a church with a giant Elvis flag on top of it. Uh, two guys, one very Elvis-looking, are waiting in a car, talking about a corpse they're going to steal and take back to Mega City One. And inside a church, a Russian Orthodox priest says a prayer over their holy symbol, which is none other than the skeletal remains of Elvis Presley. Dun-dun-dun. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, some folks in the audience get up with guns. 
and seem to, uh, you know, say everybody get down. It's a robbery. Meanwhile, a man is running through the snow, through snowy streets, escaping a gang called the Psycho Surgeons. There are these dudes dressed up in sur- surgical scrubs, clearly up to no good. When finally a voice calls out to them, it's a cyber judge on a horse named Ed. Oh, geez, he's rolling out with a gun out. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems like the horse talks as well. Right. Um, right. <laughs> But so this guy guns down two of the surgeons, then gallops off after the third. And in narration, this character, uh, named Razors, explains that he used to be in a gang a lot like these guys called the Red Deaths. But now he's a judge. He shoots the surgeon, sending their body tumbling into a bar called Hitler's Bunker. The Hitler's Bunker Men's Bar. Where the surgeon, yeah, pretty crazy. The surgeon's still alive, badly injured. The patrons remark that, hey, man, like killing, you know, blowing some dude's spine off. That's not cool. <laughs> but Red's unfazed by these, um, by these claims. Right. And calls it into, 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 into control and then learns that he's got to see the chief judge anyway because someone has stolen St. Elvis's corpse. <laughs> Later, we see an East Meg judge showing some kids around, explaining that all the judges in East Meg 2 are former criminals that have had their brains, like, uh, had, had surgery done in their brains to make them become law-abiding judges, basically. And as all this is happening, a rude little kid complains about the info dump. Screw that kid. Uh, this is interesting stuff. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, at Starsky and Hutch's, and Hutch's nightclub, Razors is bracing the Brotherhood of Huggy Bear, and things looking extremely 1970s. Yes, and the lingo. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Hey, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ungroovy, Hepcat. Yeah. <laughs> Razors wants to know where Elvis's corpse is. Of course, the gang members are not forthcoming, and they all swarm on him while one of them runs. I think this may, in fact, be his specific informant, Huggy Bear. Um but because Razor sort of says, like, yeah, this guy always makes me beat up a bunch of his dudes before he'll give me the information. I guess it's it's traditional <laughs> because Huggy Bear was like this character who was an informant on the cop show Starsky and Hutch, mm. who I think had to be like sort of coerced to give information and stuff like that. Yeah. And the, when they redid the the movie version, Huggy Bear is played by uh, Snoop Dogg, as I recall. That's sort of a weird thing. I'll check that out. I haven't seen it. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say it's great, but it sort of has its moments, I guess. <laughs> Um, so he gets some information. So he's, he's trying to get some information about Elvis mean, uh, nearby. Some no good youths are robbing a liquor store as Razors roughs up Huggy Bear for information. And it says, and he says that it's known that, uh, the purpose for this case just really want to bring Elvis back home, basically. Um, in the store, one of the perps kills the shopkeeper after she hits the alarm, and Razor, hearing that alarm, comes bursting through the glass and starts shooting, but sees that these two guys are actually Red Deaths, members of his old gang, like he used to be, and one of them even recognizes him. <laughs> Razor arrests him, and this perp says that he can't wait to tell Big Spike about all this. Which seemed like uh, grounds for being shot, uh, but, uh, you know, maybe there's protocol to it. Yeah, like, oh, you're going to tell him, eh? How about I tell him well, that you got shot in the face right. or whatever? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but um, we cut instead 
you know, maybe that will happen. I don't know. But instead, we cut to uh, the OAP KGB headquarters where a bunch of old Russian guys in, the, in Red Army uniforms are planning for a new re- Russian revolution. And one of them says all they need to do it is to uh, get Elvis's corpse and then they'll have the power. But an even older one of these old guys has a different <laughs> plan, which is just to blow up Mega East Meg 2 and call it a day, basically. Yeah, well, like, who cares? Yeah, we're old. We don't need all this muss and fuss. We got nukes. Exactly. Yeah, just blow them up. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, it's like they're uh, one. Uh, he's knitting while he's saying it. So, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. You know, these old guys got to keep their hand hands busy. <laughs> but yeah, next time in in Red Razors, red suede shoes. <laughs> uh, don't you a step of my red suede shoes? Uh-huh. All right. Enough of that. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't know any of his songs. I was like, what's What's Conrad doing? I don't understand. Okay, got it. Yeah, no. Little little bit Elvis. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge Elvis guy myself, but that's just sort of how it goes, mm-hmm. you know. But Eli, earlier you said you were born to read these comics. And speaking of characters that are born this way, <laughs> let's talk about story for Al's baby. We got there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So script by John Wagner, art by Carson Scare, letter by Gordon Robson. Hitman Al Bestardi is pregnant with his own child and his wife Wanda's. Um, and the Godfather's not really pleased about it because he's just an old stick in the mud and stuff. Um, he's driving in a car and once more contemplates suicide, but is talked out of this by experienced child raiser and Al's right hand, Sal, his black pinstripe suit. <laughs> they drive through these massive highways of Chi-Town as Sal explains the miracle of childbirth and the need to probably get some out some maternity clothes, including a support bra and stuff, because uh, he's taking some pretty serious hormones and they're going to cause things to happen, basically. Yeah, really a good friend, because uh, I wasn't ready for that. You, you know, <laughs> uh, but you got to tell your friends when they're going to need a bra. You know, you got to let them know. Yeah, I mean this honestly, I, I gotta say this um this Al Sal relationship is incredibly wholesome. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. in terms of just like Sal really earnestly wanting to help his friend through this difficult time and just be you know, and really appreciating like the process of childbirth and stuff like that. It's 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 kind of a funny thing. <laughs> Um, so anyway, but as mentioned before, all of this stuff would be hard enough if they weren't in the middle of the great gang war of 2014. Oh, geez, it's the distant future, you know? <laughs> Everyone's killing each other and the cops are just sort of standing on the sidelines like, yeah, listen, if these what gangsters want to kill each other. That's fine with me. Let them die, you know? <laughs> As Al travels the city doing various crimes, um, Sal pulls out his camera and takes pictures very much like, oh, look, you're going to want to know, you're going to want this record of your, of your pregnancy for when the kid's born and stuff like that. You know, a lot of pictures of Al, like, you know, roughing people up and executing folks right. and stuff like yeah. that. It's going to be great in the picture book. Oh, I remember when I killed all those guys. It's going to be a solid baby book. Very incriminating baby yeah. book. It's good times, you know. <laughs> You know, Al doesn't seem to be taken very seriously until the day of Al's scan. <laughs> There's a moment where he like, like Sal tells him to like talk to the baby to kind of connect to it. And Al just kind of like yells at his stomach like, hey, don't get any mm. ideas, you. Right. <laughs> there, there were a lot of moments like that. Um, yeah. I really like. Uh, wait, let me. Am I getting ahead of myself? 
the contractions. Let me make sure. I'm, oh, I are that coming like, up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was no, no. They had that. Sorry, that that was a, a conversation Al and Sal had right. where where Sal talks about contractions and Al thinks he's talking about uh, contracts right. for like for for gangster stuff yeah. they're doing with like the union reps yeah. or whatever. What are you gonna do about the contractions? Oh, you know, I'm gonna. Rough him up, gonna rough him. up that union <laughs> rep. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, "What? Wait, what are you talking about? Uh, what are you talking about?" Yeah, yeah. solid. Who's on first stuff for sure. <laughs> Speaking of who's on first stuff, Alan Sal head to the Shytown Town Maternity Hospital, where um, you know, again, where we have more who's mm-hmm. on first stuff with Alan basically <laughs> explaining like, like, yeah, I'm here for the ultrasound. Me, not my wife. I got this baby mm-hmm. and stuff like that. <laughs> that was a really good one too. <laughs> Al gets a sonogram and he sees the baby move for the first time and it's like a real actual like kind of lovely like I don't know like parental moment yeah. going on here right. you know <laughs> he insist this kid's a, a boy you know <laughs> see see his giant not in any way foreign baby wang at this point or something like that right you see what you want to see <laughs> yeah exactly so, but because they've gone to the hospital and been out in the open with all this stuff, now the kind of semi-secret that Al's pregnant's totally out. Everybody knows. And they're getting cards and and uh, stuff full of insulting well wishes from all the gangsters of all the city. <laughs> Even a box of chocolate from Al's nemesis, Mutt McCluskey. But it's only after Al learns who it's from that he realizes that it's actually a bomb and throws it out of the window just in time. <laughs> Al and Wanda seem to be unhurt by the bomb, but and Al swears revenge, of course. But then he stops. He's got got paid in his in his in his abdomen. Call an ambulance. Call um, Saul. Right. Those contracts, they're coming, right? Something. Uh, uh, I mean, okay. I, you know, it's it's it, like it seems pretty early in his pregnancy. Right, I, so this could be. I was just thinking, this could not be fun. Yeah, you I know? was just thinking it was probably too soon for that. But I don't know. Maybe you know. Uh, Male pregnancies are last shorter. I don't understand. No, no. If there's any, like, even if I hadn't read this already, Eli, if there's one thing I know, it's that this whole comic's built around images of, like, a big fat pregnant owl walking around doing gangster stuff. You know? (laughs) Like, that's, that's like, that's the, that's the initial image that we sort of wrote backwards from, basically. (laughs) That's funny. I guess you can, you can pass up on the artist drawing that. Yeah. I, I get mm. it. No, Carlos Escara wants to draw that pit, wants that image very much. I feel like we're going to get to it pretty soon. <laughs> but all this, listen, all this thrill power. You've had a bunch of things that happened in, like we we like like, like we had regular stories that appeared in both issues of the magazine this time. But let's do for some more starting and new stuff. But before then, let's talk about. Covers and editorials. Just all the non-comic stuff, right. basically. I do have to say that the way you uh, say that makes it, the mo- you know, a really action-y thing. Like, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm trying to – listen, like <laughs> this stuff – this is the stuff pe- most people skip over. So, I'm trying to hype it up, right. basically. Yeah, I appreciate you it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, uh, issue eight, your next comrade. It's the day – comrade with an M. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um it's the debut of uh, Red Razors, half maniac, half cop, all communist, drawn by Steve Yole. Um, the editorial also calls out Gina Hart for her excellent coloring work on Black Widow and mentions a new thing to win a Dread t-shirt, as well as the debut of uh, Red Razors. 
the bottom of I, I should say also previously so far um there's been a thing right above the legalese the bottom of the page that said down by jaw but this time it this issue it's changed to the big chin <laughs> mid issue there's an ad for there's a fake ad for something called crockbusters euthanasia incorporated which is pretty grim um <laughs> um uh just an ad for like uh killing off your your dead your your uh crazy old relatives basically and then there's an ad for uh, for armitage which we'll be talking about later this episode um, there's also a section of the Mega City News, which isn't the table of contents anymore, so I'm moving it to this extras section. Um, it seems an Antichrist is loose in Mega City 1. Aw, oh, jeez. I guess if it's a big deal, we'll find out about it soon enough. <laughs> there's also a brief summary of uh, all the Judge Death stuff that we've seen so far in the form of an ad for Young Death and an ad for all-purpose rad gunk, essential oils from the heart of the Black Atlantic, which is mm-hmm. the, the how the Atlantic Ocean has turned into this hyper-polluted sea. So just sort of pulling some gunk out of there. Slap it on your face. It'll be fine. You know. <laughs> What's the worst thing that could happen? I can think of a couple things, yeah, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After that, we've got letters which complement America, wonder at the connection between Al's baby and Dread, and mention – and they also mention the Judge Dread Mega Special, which which um, we just covered here on the podcast last week. You weren't there for Eli, but I promise um, I talked about it. Um, also, it seems if you get a letter printed in the magazine, you'll get a free uh, Judge Dredd t-shirt. So live that up, basically. A lot of these comics have prizes if you win, if you write it and you, and you get your letter published and stuff. That's that's in 2000 AD as well. That's really cool. And that's, that's legitimate. Like, that's not a joke. Oh, yeah. That's cool. No, yeah. They, they, they actually used to just send money. Like in early 2000 AD, everyone who wrote in got like three or four, like like between like one and five pounds, depending on what year oh, it was and stuff nice. like that. Yeah. Why why pay uh, writers when I mean, you can you know have you know the fans write in? Well, definitely, I, I think it just keeps people engaged. Right. You know, that's awesome. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a fun idea, I think. Um, and so, yeah, so you, you get a T-shirt for the magazine. Then the issue ends with what looks like a, a big pinup of what looks like a, dre- a, a judge, a shoulder eagle, flying over the statues of judgment and liberty with the bloody American flag in its claws. And in the top, it says, uh, justice has a price. The price is freedom. And I think if you look real closely in here, you can see that the Statue of Liberty has like a tear coming out of its eye as well. <laughs> Rich imagery for this America-themed pinup here. <laughs> But I think it's fun. I don't know. I like the idea. Like so, uh, like it's actually kind of rare to see that like shoulder eagle, the, that eagle that's the symbol of Mega City One, like actually doing anything. Mm. So I think it's fun to see it sort of taking the place of more traditional bald eagle or something like that. Right, that makes sense. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It, so it, issue. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. It is. A, it is a bald eagle, right? Like it, I. Assu- I just assume I that. I guess it is. I mean, it, it looks like it, but you know, mm-hmm. they, they never, they Confirm never, they, yeah, they never show a non-gold one. Mm-hmm. You know, right? So it could be any kind of bird of prey, honestly. Uh, pr- issue issue nine, I should say. Uh, meet Armitage, Britsit's hard-boiled detective, and we see Armitage, Treasure Steel, and a Britsit judge in front of a Union Jack, and what ends up being a very iconic cover by uh, Sean Phillips. This one shows up a lot. It like 2080 cover collections and stuff like that. The editorial bouts uh, touts both of these new Britsit stories, these issue, Armitage and The Straight Jacket Fits, and mentions that the magazine did well in the recent UK 
comic art convention awards, which um, I looked up. They seem to have just started in 1990 and they ran until 97 or so. And they're talking a lot about magazine Pete, like folks who work in the magazine winning awards, but they definitely none of them won for their work in the magazine. So it's like whatever, you know, <laughs> like it's nice, but not because of stuff that we've seen so far. And then the the term on the bottom page has changed once more to dread on arrival. <laughs> Uh, Mid-issue, there's a page for Mega City News, which includes uh, Election Fever, which I believe might be because there's a UK election coming up in 1991 as this is being published, and an ad for an air-to-ground – or a, uh, yeah, a, a ground-to-air missile circus, which seems very deadly, mm. but maybe exciting. <laughs> Could be good, I guess. It depends on your distance, your proximity to it. De- yeah, it, it, exactly. You're going to want to bring like one of those ponchos like you bring mm-hmm. like, to a Gallagher <laughs> concert or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> later, later, there's an ad making fun of pimple cream ads, which, um, but this time it's coming from the master of ugliness, Otto Sump. So he's got like both a pus cream and something called Pimplon, which will make you just break out completely and be ugly as heck, because uh-huh. that's what's cool, uh-huh. being ugly. <laughs> later, there's still, there's more letters. Um, most of these, again, are complimenting America, but there's also letters from folks who have gotten the mega New Zealand and another who asks, asks for back issues. And here's where they make a concerted point. Like, we don't sell back issues. Here's some comic book shops you might want to talk to if you want to get old old comics. Stop asking us. <laughs> <laughs> and then this uh, issue ends with an ad for uh, Converse All-Stars, the shoes for cool kids, stuff like that. Doctor Doctors Who, etc. <laughs> But um, I guess, I guess speaking of uh, mysterious monsters that people might deal with, Eli, yeah. let's talk about Story 5, Strange Cases. Uh, script robot Ian Edgington, art robot Sean Phillips, lettering robot Annie Parkhouse. And this is the first appearance in the podcast for writer Ian Edgington. He'll go on to write a ton of stuff in 2000 AD, including stories like Red Red Seas, Sticklebacks, and the new version of uh, Fiends of the Eastern Front, which is in the Prague as we're recording this. Um, At a child's birthday party, Eli, (laughs) a magician tries to do his trick, but his the rabbit in his hat's real aggressive and bites a kid. And so, uh, and the kids just want to play with their superhero toys. So the magician, like, casts a magic spell and makes that action figure into a real, into a real thing. But upon realizing that he has the power of real magic, he dies. (laughs) And that's just the way. As soon as you figure it out. That's how it goes. Definitely. At his... at his funeral at Recyc, various other stage magicians, including one that looks quite a bit like uh, the comic book version of Baron Mordo, nemesis of Doctor Strange, they talk – they basically just talk mess about him. Like, oh, I'm glad he's dead. That guy's been clogging up. Mm-hmm. Taking too many bookings with his terrible – with his terrible act. <laughs> but since his ghost is still there and still has access to magic, he uses it to bring himself back to life. Oh, jeez. Luckily, though – these funeral robots here, they've seen it all before. They know what to do. So they call the judges and Dredd shows up <laughs> real quickly. But when he does, the wizard uses his magic powers to first, like, eliminate Dredd's partner and then turns Dredd's own gun into flowers. Oh, no. 
Luckily, it seems like the wizard's magical beams are de- are deflected by a piece of synth steel, which is like a like a steel chair. So Dread uses that to reflect the magic back on the wizard, which makes his magical top hat grow to giant size, and he gets trapped underneath it, where he is then eaten alive by his now giant uh, bunny rabbit. <laughs> thing you definitely got to feed those things or else you know this is the type of consequence that happens is yeah seriously you get another night of the lepus right. you know it's bad times <laughs> or at least make sure you, big que- your rabbit's vegetarian yeah come on once it's bitch you once it's tasted human <laughs> blood you, you got to get a new rabbit i think like that that's obvious <laughs> you know anyway the magician's been e- been eaten and the all's well that ends well but what happened to bugsy the rabbit that's a story for another day <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't know if we actually pick up on it, so don't don't quote okay, me on that specifically. I'll quote, yeah, don't hold, don't uh, uh, don't freak out too much about it. If you don't yeah, like about does, that rabbit, good times, but right. but but don't hold your breath. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> and speaking of holding bre- of holding mm-hmm. breaths, because you're trapped somewhere real dangerous, Eli. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to story six, Armitage, a script robot. Uh, Dave Stone, art about Sean Phillips, letting about Steve Potter, and uh, they also list uh, Dave Bishop as a co-creator. Um, I got to say, I, I'm interested in this one mostly because um, the name of this character, Armitage, is a is also the name of a character from one of my favorite books, uh, Neuromancer. He's like uh, in that one, the character Armitage also wears a trench coat. But is like the tool of an AI that's sort of out to take over the world or Ooh. something like that. It's complicated. Yeah, that's not cool. Um, yeah, and it's, and it's made me, and I, I really like that book. And so, like this character with a shared name has made me have some, have some, have some simpy for this guy mm. that might not otherwise have. Um, <laughs> the comic starts the typewritten with a typewritten page explaining that um, another that another page next to it is a transcript of an insane killer's uh, speech and it's just sort of of Jack the Ripper stuff and they specifically say that a lot of what this guy's saying is a reference to uh, Jack the Ripper basically Um, then we cut to the detective himself in narration explaining that on the roof of the new Old Bailey and okay more explanation but the Old Mm -hmm. Bailey is uh, the central criminal court of England and Wales it's like this big uh, court court building in England Mm, nice okay so they are in England yeah, that's called the Old Bailey. And so this is the new version of that. So it's the new Old Bailey, mm. you know. <laughs> um, but on the roof of that, there's a statue of blind justice partially destroyed by a crim- by a, a criminal rocket attack a few years ago. No one's really fixed it. And Armitage is getting a good look at it because he's now hanging by his fingertips from one of the scales that she's carrying. <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're definitely in Britsit now, which is what they call England in Dread's world. Nice. And we sort of flash back to earlier as Armitage, who's apparently a plain clothes judge. He's got white hair and a beard, sweet trench coat and stuff. And he chats with some other Britsit judges who we see. I got a pretty good look at their I, – I don't know if you've seen Britsit judge, ju- judges' uniforms before, actually. No, I so sorry. But I see uh, yeah. lion symbolism rather than the eagle. So. Exactly. That's a really big part of it. Like they've got – their helmets are a little bit more dome-shaped, I think. But yeah, definitely a big part of it is that where uh, Mega City One judges have eagles, they have lions, both on their shoulder pet on on their shoulder armor and on their helmets and stuff. Um, another kind of classic 
uh, Britsit thing is having a uh, like a star, like either tattooed or his makeup on the on your chin. We see one star chin guy right at the start of Armitage here, for instance. And I think they have like Union Jack badges or something like that as well. But, you know, very still very similar to the Mega City One judges, but a couple differences as well. And I should say also, actually, as we're talking about Armitage, an interesting thing about this comic is that it's told in these two-page spreads. Like, um, yeah, right. they are, like, like, like there's no single pages for Armitage. It's all uh, 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 two pages and, like, you know, the, the image in the middle sort of continues on to the next one and stuff right. like that. Yeah. So it doesn't have a... Yeah, I did. it's 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 got a different construction. Yeah. Is what I'm trying and to say, and I didn't take note of that until you just pointed out, like, uh, like I was noticing that, but I didn't realize all of them mm-hmm. were that way. That's they cool. don't take like they don't always take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. I guess, right? Like if you like if you look on like on like the third page of this comic, they do have a very like read all of this one page and mm-hmm. read all of this next page. Right. But they also do sometimes have like all right, just read all the way across this whole two page thing. But it's you know they're just taking it like they're they're definitely using it to take advantage of the size they've got in the in the, in the magazine here. Um, but so Armitage he's real cool. Um, and suddenly a part breaks free uh, uh from a judge that's sort of like escorting him to a jail or something like that. He attacks a young lady when Armitage steps in and just like stiff arms this dude against the wall and takes him out. <laughs> Looking real cool. Yeah, very easily, it seems, because he was having like a casual conversation while right before he did it. So. Yeah, yeah. He he takes a moment to ask if this other uh, uh, judge who's not wearing a helmet would like to like take him out first or something <laughs> like that. Right. You know, <laughs> like oh no, like I run the Black Museum. Like I'm I'm fine. Not 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 dealing with such physical things. And Archie just walks over, and just like boosh, you know, <laughs> just hand to the face. <laughs> Um, and after it's only after that that the uh, black library judge explains that the the young woman that he's got with him is actually Armitage's new partner, Treasure Steel, a rookie judge. Which and and he's and Armitage of course has the classic response when anybody gets a a rookie partner, right. which is um, I hate this rookie so much. Mm, right. All right. That, that is much more common. Right. At, at, at least in like cop movies right. and stuff yeah. like we're that into for a, sure we're getting into a buddy cop now they need to you know find, learn about each other's strengths and come to terms and you know learn valuable total, total buddy cop stuff going on here you're right mm-hmm. yeah they like go to the uh, the cafeteria and like she and like treasure eats breakfast and he kind of just has coffee because he's real tired and makes fun of her for eating breakfast or something. Mm-hmm. Ask, it turns out she's married. He's like, I'll, I, I give it six months, mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. Which is a rude thing, rude response it's to quite, that. Quite, quite rude. Right. This, is a, this is a very rude individual. Right. I guess he's ho- hoping yeah, offends her so that she leaves. Exactly. Or, you know, that I, I feel like it's 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 definitely that also maybe he's just a little bit more he's just a little bit no nonsense as well. Mm-hmm. But mostly I think he's trying to insult and be an asshole to her so that she'll quit. Right. Yeah, I guess you're right, because he does. He is like 24 uh, seven. If I call you, you get here. Your husband's probably not going to be cool with that. So that's why I think it, you're not going to last. Uh, I wonder, hopefully, you know, he has a he has a lost love that, you know, his job got in the way he had to make that choice. 
So he's just reaching yeah, it's very, out. Very solid. Like, yeah, you do what I want, when I want to. Mm-hmm. Are you married? Yes. I give it six months. You're on call 24 hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But as they're having this discussion, Eli, this one, uh, let's politely say larger judge, mm-hmm. takes a bite out of a giant like ham hock piece of meat, basically. <laughs> And as he does, go makes like a glurk sound and then stand up as he gets cut to shreds from the inside by giant laser slicers. Oh, good lord. Yeah. That's just, you don't want to go out that way. That's a no. top three worst. He just explodes in a shkak of blood and then just turns into like a big puddle, right. basically. Very well illustrated, I have to admit. I definitely <laughs> felt that. Yeah, like – I like the initial splashes, but then you just kind of have these little images of just like a puddle and then just like his like crazy <laughs> uh, terrified head like lying in that pool and stuff. Um, Armitage um, sort of instantly recognizes it as a, a one shot pinhead laser cutter probably hidden in his, in his food. And they're on the case. <laughs> We're going to find this out, basically. You know, he says to leave doing the actual, like, forensic examination to the shell heads, to the regular judges. They're doing other stuff. They're going to try to find the weapon that caused it. And because of that, he wants to consult with the Black Library to kind of get, like, some background. Because these are this is mostly, like, military weapons from the last revolution and stuff like that. To that end, they arrive at the Black, at the, at the Black Museum. Uh, sorry, I, I might have said Black Library, which is what Warhammer 40K produces its book at. Yeah. Black Museum is <laughs> the right term. But uh, they, they arrive at the Black Museum, and there they find the curator who we met earlier. He's dead. He's got like three knives sticking out of his chest and looks like someone's been drawing in the blood on his chest and stuff like that, which is no good. And it looks like generally the game is afoot. Next time on Armitage, the horrors of the Black Museum. Uh, Peppered Cop didn't seem phased at all by any of this, you know. Guy's laser's stomach opens up. Yeah, all right. So anyway, good old classic yeah. laser cutter in the food trick. Let's go. Um, classic yeah, yeah, he's all, dude. He's all business. <laughs> classic stabbed in some kind of ritual situation. <laughs> We've all seen it. Correct. It's just Tuesday. It's fine, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So yeah, no, I I like this is re- a real buddy cop movie where you've got again like sort of up and coming young rookie, grizzled old veteran, and then a mysterious um um case they've got to investigate. Presumably, will both yeah the rookie will prove herself and will learn why Armitage has such such a stick up his ass in the process <laughs> of this story. You know, tale as old as time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of uh, of uh, insane insane situations in Brit City, Eli, <laughs> let's finish up with story seven. Straight jacket fits. This is fairly short. <laughs> oh yeah, mm-hmm. no, this is just a quick uh, 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 a quick little like a uh, four pager, I guess. Yeah. Um, script robot Dave Bish- D- David Bishop, art robot Rod- Robert Langridge, letter robot Alan Rank- Langridge. He's getting that double paycheck for writing and, le- and lettering. <laughs> um, but so this is a, a comedy strip sent in a mental hospital. That's not my favorite thing, but I'm I'm fine with it, I guess. Mm. Um, and it seems like it's also trying to kind of capitalize on this story, Hooligan's haircut that was in 2000 AD in 1990, which was also kind of this surreal humor strip about a mental institution. So this feels like a fast follow on that, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I should say also a big thing here is that this is the first work we've seen from future magazine and 2000 AD editor Dave Bishop, who will uh, he'll be taking he'll actually be taking over editing the magazine in issue 13. Um, so he's sort of an up and comer here. It's also first work in the podcast by Robert Langridge, who we'll be seeing a little later on in other things. But basically, Eli. <laughs> Mega City One psychiatrist Drongo Stabbins has come to help out with the Brits at Psycho Cubes, which seems to be staffed by robot doctors and human nurses. The uh, robot doctor seems very, like, tired with life. Mm-hmm. Things are very weird and, uh, and, and unhappy here as he shows him into the main room where things are going crazy because it's Wednesday and Wednesday is anything can happen day. And there's like... Big fires and various crazy people walking around, including one very Jack Nicholson in a in, a, in one of the cuckoo's nest kind of crazy person who looks right at the camera and says, uh, "Hey, if the straight jacket fits, wear it," which gives us the title of the comic. Hooray! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Stabbins is introduced to his assistant, Nurse Honey, who's a nurse that wears her uh, nurse uniform unbuttoned to the navel, and then meets his first patient, uh, Mr. Douglas Fur, who believes that he's a tree. Um, there's some questioning here about his tree-like nature, eventually ending with saying, hey, if you're a tree, why don't you have any leaves or anything like that? And uh, he says, of course, I don't got leaves. Well, uh, I'm deciduous, aren't I? And so that earns him a punch in the face. Right. Uh, two notes, personally. Mm. Uh, the nurse was, I believe, chasing down Tree Guy with an axe earlier. In the- That's true. Yeah, she was going to cut him up into, cut him up to fuel this fire that they right, built. Right, bicycle barbecue. Uh, so I'm questioning her, uh, you know, abilities, you know, naturally. Uh, but also, mm. I had to look up the word uh, deciduous. Yeah, it means it's a tree that drops its leaves right. in uh, in the in the winter. Right. So I uh, the punchline was lost on me. I had to go search for it, <laughs> and I came back. And I have to be honest, I was still a little disappointed after even reading. I was like, eh, all right, he's getting yeah. punched in the face was funny enough. I definitely like. I'll say this: this is a humor strip. And I always go into things when to when these comics say we are doing something and it is going to be funny. <laughs> I'm always like, okay, <laughs> like <laughs> the track record isn't great, is what I'm trying to right. say. I think it's, so, uh, there's that extra disappointment of a uh, like um, someone tells you a joke, you don't get it, but you're like, this must be funny. I'm going to research it to understand why it is, and then you come oh, yeah, back, no, I'm and sure. then you're like, oh. Right. Yeah, if you, I, I can, I luckily knew it already. But yeah, if you had to do legwork for this, <laughs> that's that's even worse, honestly. Was, oh, geez, I was invested. Yeah, so I gotta say, uh, not really looking forward to to this comic all that much. But it's gonna be with us for a while, so maybe it'll grow on me. Right. We'll see how it goes. I'm hoping so too. Uh, yeah, the art style was a great departure as well. It definitely, yeah, I, ca- I, cartoon comic strip. Definitely, yeah. The, it, yeah, language does do this cartoon, this like cartoon comic strip style. That is a, it's it's such a big tonal shift between this and Armitage, for instance, <laughs> right. for sure. Huge, yeah. <laughs> that I think really gives you. It, it does add variety, I think. But I wish it was a, a I wish it was it was a variety of uh, things that I liked as opposed to just sort of raw variety. <laughs> I guess. Right. 
<laughs> but so anyway, next time on Straight Jacket Fit, Stranger in a Deranged Land. Oh, Ooh. man. Do you like that title? And, yeah, it's good. You know, I always like a, like a Heinlein reference. Mm-hmm. But Eli, I have one question for you. Which is, what were your top-bottom stories for these two issues of the magazine, 8 and 9? Let's see. I think I can safely nest uh, uh, the straight jacket fits on the bottom. I think that's... Uh, that's I fair. I don't worry too much about that one. Uh, and then, you know, because there, there was some other wacky stuff, too. But uh, that one, I guess it was so short that I didn't even, like, feel it. It was like... Nothing weird was happening. Like this, it felt like this could have been any. Like it didn't need to be in a Drud- Judge Dredd magazine. If this was yeah. just in the newspapers, I would have been like, "Yeah, sure, it's fine." Um, uh, uh, yeah, but um, just just edging out the uh, wizard story. I don't know. I think it's um, just uh, these uh, side stories are uh, losing me a little bit. But I shouldn't be so hard yeah, on the wizard story yeah. because. Um, like they don't don't all need to be connected. You don't always need a judge to be like uh, uh, in it, but um, yeah, they seem like um. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd all. say generally speaking, a lot of times, like one-off stories, sort of, mm-hmm. you know, they're a lot of times they're more there to kind of fill space or something right. like that than the more serious, like mm-hmm. like weekly stories or something. Maybe I should like that. Uh, put my money where my mouth is, and I'm going to try to create a you know ten-page Judge Dread one-shot and see if it you know. See Ooh. if it, it holds up, or if uh, you know, because you know, these I think, creators uh, are under pressure. You know, they got they got deadlines. Hey, here's this thing. Make a story about it, and then they got you know only a little bit of time. I to think do folks it. would love to see that. Honestly, I know I would. Oh, I'm like, sure. I really like your art and stuff like that. So I think, <laughs> like, sort of, any, I'd, 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 I'd love to see and uh, and and like just an Eli Dread generally, but then. <laughs> Like have doing some crime fighting. That sounds pretty dope uh, to my mind. Uh, my uh, art style always comes out really cute, regardless of how. <laughs> yeah, dangerous no, I try exactly. To make it, so. I, wa- I want, I, I want, I want this cute dread more than anything. <laughs> like this, like like kind of cute manga judge dread. That's like <laughs> that's high on my priority list. To be honest, yeah, I, I'll have to try it out. Um, <laughs> so let's see what's top of the list, huh? Now, good contender is Judge Death's recent stories. Learning a lot about mm-hmm. uh, him and just shooting people comically. Um, you know, I'm starting to warm up to this. You know, this universe that Judge Death came from. Like, I get it. Hey, if you want to kill somebody, it's, it's almost like they're they're giving like uh, I said last time that I was like, how could Judge Death turn an entire population and you know dimension into you know where this is okay? But now I'm learning. No, it, it was pretty much ripe for the taking. Like. Yeah, uh, easy, yeah, no, he was some little charisma. It's easy. He was born. He, he was born in a world that was definitely predisposed to be taken over by a living avatar of death or whatever. Right. You know, um, it's not the it's it, it's not the long walk it would be in our world, right. for instance. <laughs> I'm trying to say, um, uh, but also um, Al's baby is climbing up the list. Um, just you know the. Uh, <laughs> Uh, batter on first jokes you know yeah, they really should get old but they don't you know it's <laughs> i think they're i think they're varied enough mm. that it sort of keeps working out you know because like the first one was about contracts the next one was with the nurse and stuff like that right. like it, it's it's not the same joke over and over again it's those different it's it's a different jokes with the same structure which i think think lasts a little longer right you know um i do have to put a honorable mention to um 
uh, Red Razor, as well as uh, what's this one? What's your name? I forgot your name. Uh, the one with uh, the buddy cops. Buddy cops. Armitage. Armitage, yeah. Uh, only uh, learning about these new places in the world with these different judges, different cultures, and kind of how the systems are set up. I've been really enjoying that. Um, so Yeah, definitely. Let's, let's see. Dang it. Because, yeah, Armitage. Yeah, come on. Armitage. It's hard, hard to choose. Uh, hmm. Yeah, let me just soul search. <laughs> search my dark soul. Uh, I think... Dang it. It's still between Judge Death and uh, Al's baby. Uh, huh. I can drop Armitage only because I'm not as invested yet. You know, they, this is the first time I've met these people, so I don't, I, I'm not too far in there. Um, yeah. I'll have to say Al's baby just by one joke. Nice. Like, if, if it was one joke less, I'd be like, all right, <laughs> we're going Judge Death. But they, they hit me with a double, and they were both humorous, so I have to give them extra points for that. Even though Judge Death was very cinematic, they had their own humor in there as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, as a comic, I feel like Al's Baby uh, takes it just barely. Nice, fantastic. I think I'll, I'll join you with with Straight Jacket Fitz on the bottom for sure. <laughs> um, that's a real easy choice for me. I think um, for my top, I might go with your alternate choice and have uh, Young Death up there. Nice. Um, you know, we talked about the cinematic nature of these flashbacks and the death parts of the story. And I really agree with that. And I think that that is a really like, honestly, like, even though not a ton happens, um, it's a really, it's a really fun story or that they've got this, like, like, I feel like we were sort of getting tired of this, of, of young death early on because we were waiting for this kid to turn, you know, to get to the story of this kid for them to turn evil mm. and start killing people and stuff. Right. And now we're there and it's everything I hoped for. Right. You know? Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. Growing up, it was kind of like, um, because I was more interested in the systems that allowed it to be. Um, and as him mm. being a kid, just, you know, a murdering kid, you know, like, okay, I, I know how that is, but how's he going to rise in ranks? Like, what are people going to think of him when he gets out in the world? Like, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a ton of things about like just murderous little kids and stuff right. like that. Like, that's just, um, you know, I've seen those horror movies or whatever, right. but, um, yeah. for instead to sort of be coming to power of a murderous uh, police, op- like uh, like a super cop or something. Mm-hmm. That's a a more untold story, right? So mm-hmm. I, it's cool to, to learn about yeah. it. I think, and it is interesting because I think it it really is his ideology that he got from his father that uh, allows him to rise to the top because it's that frame of justice and death. It's not just death because that's what his dad was about. Yeah, but being like, yeah, no, yeah, he's not as. Especially according to him, he's not killing them be just to kill them, but it's be, it's got a purpose within the framework of law that he believes in. Mm. You know, right? It, it makes sense because I mean, when we first met Judge Death, he was spewing that, and it just seemed really foreign. Like, what are you talking? I mean, yeah, but that's yeah. that's crazy. But you know, no, it's definitely bringing. Yeah, his his I mean, yeah, his catchphrase is the crime is life, the sentence is death, and this is really sort of getting him a, him a chance to sort of at least prove that he's put his money where his mouth is in terms of these right, beliefs. Right. He's, you know? he's put thought in it. He's also put bodies in it as well. A lot of bodies, right. absolutely. <laughs> All right, awesome. 
I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Big Meg One on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at BigMegOne.com. Feel free to contact us at BigMegOne at gmail.com, the 2008 forums, or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. For all of those, just look up Big Meg One, and that's uh, one spelled out, O-N-E, and you'll find us. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Zane Kip Miller, and your friends at the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd really appreciate it. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Cradaline. That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2000 AD in the Meg, and even Q&As with my buddy Fox and myself. Then come back next time as mutants attack the city, death meets death meets the sisters, and Al goes after Mutt McCluskey. But until then, I'm Conrad, he's Eli, and we are Big Meg One. Drock it!